Marianne Dissart, my guest on this edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Marianne Dissart, singer, writer, poet, filmmaker, performance artist, une chanteuse française with an American twist. Marianne was born in the Pyrenees Mountains, but went to live in the American West from the age of 16, most notably in Tucson, Arizona, before moving back to Europe in 2013. She's toured extensively all over the world and has released six albums featuring her own unique hybrid of Americana and chanson. She's collaborated with Tucson's finest Calexico, Hal Gelb, Naim Amor and Brian Lopez, and beyond Tucson with singers Amparo Sanchez, Françoise Bre, is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Bre. I should be able to pronounce the French. Françoise Bre, Belgian rock god Arnaud, Berlin choreographer Ami Garmon, Italian composer Christian Ravaglioli, producers VK1 and Budo, and she produced the singer-songwriter also Jezenska, who I recently saw performing in a record shop. Marianne is a darling of the popular South by Southwest Festival in Texas. And in 2013, that's where she premiered her third official album, The Cat, Not Me. It tells dark tales about the physical and mental exhaustion brought on by relentless touring. And yes, if anyone knows about relentless touring, it's Marianne. During the 2004 US presidential election, Marianne launched the Tucson Suffragettes, a gang of sexy downtown political vixens who went after virgin voters. Now, I presume virgin voters are people who hadn't previously voted and not people who usually vote for virgins. Those two things do um, cross over. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. The, did I really do all this You've done stuff? much more. I had to edit your biog <laughs> significantly. You're a very active woman. That was the greatest introduction. I loved it. Thank you. Beatboxing master. Okay, well, the podcast ends here. We can't beat it. The intro. Now, let's kick off straight away with your first choice. What have you chosen? Kendrick Lamar. It's an album I've been listening to on repeat for the past few months. And the track is How Much a Dollar Cost. Great. A crack that he wanted I knew he was smoking He begged and pleaded Asked me to feed him twice I didn't believe it Told him beat it Contributed money Just for his pipe I couldn't see it He said my son Temptation is one thing That I've defeated Listen to me I want a single bill from you Nothing less Nothing more I told him I didn't have it Then closed my door Tell me how much A dollar cost was Kendrick Lamar with How Much A Dollar Cost. So why did you choose this track? Because um, oddly enough for a podcast where we're supposed to speak about it, uh, there's some tracks that just leave me speechless. Mm. This entire album leaves me speechless. I was completely moved by the end of it. I was in tears and I don't know, when does that ever happen when you listen to an album? Mm. So why did I choose it? Because I've been listening to it a lot and probably somehow answers a few questions for me about how do you present information 
It's interesting because I know you've done a lot of poetry. So does it have a direct link with how you're thinking about presenting your own work? I mean, you're not a rapper so much, but it's very obviously really careful attention to the lyrics that, that he's rapping here. Yeah, I think he's way more than a songwriter. You can start talking about a writer when it comes to that level of skill of words. Um, I think that's probably what appealed to me also. But the music also is yeah. stunning. And I'm super curious, more than what I think of it, what you as a musician and producer think of the music. Yeah, there are many things going on here that I'm really fond of. I love a, a wonky groove, you mm -hmm. know, like in French we say boncal. You know, it's a yeah. bit... Boom. It's very smart because the fact that it's so wonky, mm -hmm. it keeps your interest. It doesn't sound like a loop. It sounds like it's kind of constantly about to fall over. At the same time, it's got something very intense, just that beat. And also it's very laid back, obviously. There's something gives space for Kendrick to actually rap on top of it. What I liked as well is that the arrangement is always evolving. There's always something new coming in. It's like a soundscape. And again, that's a smart decision because his rapped vocals, although very intense, are quite monotone. It's always in the same register. He's not like an Eminem where it's... The arrangement's constantly evolving around him. So the contrast between the two, I think, works really well. I think one of the things that attracts me also to it is that it's very cinematic. Mm. That sense of evolution, I keep thinking of a train, something that's not going to be derailed, that's just going to go and go and go and yeah. go. And the, the, the view from it is evolving constantly and you have to reconcile what you just saw and what you're going to be seeing and that sense of time. Yeah. Um, it is constantly surprising for sure. Yeah. But at the core of it is such a, an intensity of... of the message. Yeah. I think what's really smart as well is that it ends with a song vocal. And like you say, you have this sense of a train moving forward, this momentum. And if it had just stopped and that was the end, I think we'd feel really let down. But this beautiful voice comes in just to take us somewhere else. Yeah. And I, I guess on the album, the next track probably takes us somewhere else as well, I would imagine. Uh, absolutely. Um, but there's two featured vocalists on that track, and it just adds to the texture of the singing. And the entire album does that also. You got guests popping here and there at the most unexpected moment. The entire album is constructed really amazingly with snippets of a poem slash conversation that you're discovering in between the tracks. Well, that's interesting because I've had a little listen to your choices and I think that's something we might be talking about on a, your second choice yeah. as well also. But I, I like that. Like, you feel like you're joining and something's happening. It's so much more than just a song or a piece of music. It's like, like you say, it's a, it's a performance, it's a moment in time. And I think as a producer, that's what all songs should be, even if it's a pop song capture that vocal that was the most quirky the most interesting the most surprising and evolve you know go for something that's unexpected i was going to select another track but i chose this one instead i was going to select the uh, latest macklemore downtown because i was super curious about your take on that mm. musically um as far as you know how do you manage having different guests having different sounds having this whole story this scope which is maybe something that the some of the my favorite artists from the 1970s were doing when you're thinking about albums that are anything but intimate mm. in a sense that they're addressing larger issues and also calling in all the guns but what's interesting on this Kendrick Lamar track is that you feel it's global in its reach but there is something intimate about the textures and it sounds like he's singing directly to you and I think that's really because it's beautifully mixed 
it's actually a real masterclass in how to place a voice so you're never saying oh it sounds like someone's rapping on top of a backing it's it's so beautifully placed everything together the reverb i love the moment when those harmonizer vocals come in the kind of vocoder effect and those have been used so much in hip-hop and r&b but here it's so subtle it's so kind of sensual that it actually adds something which is rare i think i i think i really like you talking about the track more than uh, what I have to say about it because I'm just get overwhelmed by that track. <laughs> I think about it in terms of stories, also in terms of poetry. What uh, you know, this is a dialogue. Mm. We're talking about a scene, a guy looking back at something that happened in real life, mm. quote unquote. Uh, how do you transcribe that? How do you yeah. talk about a scene? Well, this leads us on to my first choice. Now, Marianne has been living in Italy, or at least has been passing through Italy, Basilicata, right? Yep. So I've chosen something Italian. Let's have a listen to it, and I'll talk about it more afterwards. This is Alice with Prospettiva Nevsky. E poi di lui si innamorò perdutamente il suo impresario e dei balletti russi E poi di lui si innamorò perdutamente il suo impresario e dei balletti russi l'inverno con la mia generazione le donne curve sul telai vicino alle finestre un giorno sulla prospettiva Nievski per caso mi incontrai di Gostavinsky Orinari messi sotto i letti per la notte un film di Eisenstein sulla rivoluzione. That was Alice with Prospettiva Nevsky. I just have two things to say to you. My master taught me how hard it is to find dawn in the twilight and urinals placed under the bed for the night and a film of Eisenstein about the revolution. Those were some of the lyrics. They were written by Franco Battiato, who is one of the geniuses of Italian music. The best way to describe him is the kind of Peter Gabriel of Italy, really. He brought synthesizers and samplers, the Fairlight, and he wrote this for Alice. Now, we've just watched a video from YouTube, and it's such a weird video. I love these videos that have been captured from the 80s, where the quality is really poor, but beautiful. Um, and at one point, the cameraman just misses his mark totally and goes off zooming in on her, her breasts, or I don't know what. It's an amazing, amazing video, and I'll obviously include a link to it in the show notes. Um, You didn't know Alice, but did you know Franco Battiato? Yes, I've heard of his name, but I know his work very little. And I knew Alice even less. Um, but what an amazing video. How stunning. It's a complete karaoke. Is that what they were doing in the 80s? Yes, that was they the did. Style. It was like, I'm not even pretending I'm, I'm actually singing. But you know what? <laughs> When you stop pretending that you're singing live, you can do something else. And she is so charismatic and her movement, she has this kind of gentle twist of the hand. And well, it totally ties into some of the lyrics you didn't mention, the Ninjinsky, the dance um, connection in the song, because it, it's funny because I've been reading Nijinsky's uh, memoir, his, his writings, really close hand observation of him going crazy. And I'm looking at this video going, wow, 
dance and movement and music and everything that he was trying to convey in, uh, in his book and in his dance and then she takes it and she does those movements that are completely tied and disconnected to the music itself and to the lyrics it is so strange and she's really portraying an essence of what it is to be giving gestures that are understood by everybody mm. it's a strange thing to see from an italian performer i think so too because i think of kate bush obviously and yeah. david bowie yeah but as you say to see an italian artist do uh -huh. it yes and to do those movements uh to put through lyrics that are very interesting she could be singing about love the usual mm. you know thing you'd expect from such beautiful voice and such classical arrangements yeah. it's like yeah heartbroken no 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 just something else and so it's it's a uh, again uh, a track that works on different levels mm. beautifully it's surprising it's, it's so my cup of tea this kind of tune it's got a pedal it's got the note that kind of continues all the way through the verses she has a beautiful tone in that low register almost sounds like a man almost mm -hmm. the only thing is that it's the kind of song that needed to be written in a period where songs just faded out yeah. because it's just kind of like the Kendrick Lamar track you don't want it to stop you've got this momentum and you just want it to kind of keep going really so why I love this video so much is that the Italian TV at I they've just put this fake applause on at various points <laughs> it appears in the middle of the second verse for absolutely no reason yeah. and at the end of the track they're like okay now clap and end and then it's this weird freeze frame you have to watch the video dear listeners you must watch it so i mean do you engage with italian pop music at all well very little in the sense that when i'm living in italy i go to stores and shops and in the streets in the cafes and what i hear is international music yeah. international pop i pick up ideas of what is actually an international hit song that is very popular and mainstream. Yeah. Last winter when I was there, I heard uh, a Billy Idol song, White Wedding, and I thought, wow, White Wedding in Italy, this is really interesting. How do you translate one song from one language to the other? Yeah. Do they understand the lyrics? Do I understand the lyrics? When I listen to Kendrick Lamar the first time around, I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah. Um, I've given up trying to communicate by all possible means when I'm performing. Um, I sing in French, but I sing mostly out of France. So people understand some things when they see me. They don't get everything. Mm. It's fine. Yeah. You just find other ways to get them, grab them. And in this video, in this song by Alicia, it's like, okay, she's beautiful. She sings great. The vocal is great. The music supports everything. And, oh, yes, they're talking about, hmm, what's going on? Yeah, I love that double level. I think yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. So let's move on to your second selection. What have you picked? Harry Nilsson, The Flying Saucer Song. I like your pronunciation. It sounds a little bit like Harry Nilsson. <laughs> he was a hairy dude, yeah. A hairy Harry Nilsson, the Flying Saucer song. Let's have a listen. Hey, hey. how you doing? Hey, nothing much. Same old, same old crap. So how's your lady? Oh, she's fine. She's Yours? Mm. Okay. Uh... Although I had a weird experience the other night. What was what that? Was that? <laughs> I don't know. I just asked that. Feedback. Wasn't me. Well, wasn't me. It's not electronic. How you doing, boys? <laughs> well, anyway, I was saying. Late last night, such a light. I watched a butterfly streak across the midnight sky. 
pissing. I, it I don't believe it. What a crazy track. <laughs> it just meanders and gets lost and finds a way again. <laughs> That was insane. Okay, so you've just heard an excerpt, dear listener. You need to listen to the whole thing. It is pretty much everything you shouldn't do if you want to hit pop stardom. <laughs> it is on an album that just sunk the guy's career, but it is brilliant. It's a movie. It's a little soundtrack of a film. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, Harry Nielsen speaks all parts. Oh, is that all him? That's all him. Oh, okay. And listening to it here in actual stereo, you're like, oh my God, there's one of him on that corner and then the other one's on this corner. Okay, that adds a whole other level. I didn't know it was only him. First of all, he manages to change his voice really well. He was doing that throughout his entire career. Um, He was a master at it. And he was always messing with formats. Mm. I mean, this is a guy who was hugely successful at the start of his career, and then he just kept messing with what was expected of him as a pop star. He never did live concert. I mean, that's like shooting yourself in the foot. This track is like a sprawling six or something minutes long of just insanity couple of drunk guys and the bartender. It's hilarious. It's so interesting. It makes me question how we frame music that we listen to. We're very respectful normally, you know, when a song starts, there's an intro, we understand the process of popping an audio file or a CD or a vinyl or whatever, and that the music starts and we wait, oh, here's here's the musical intro and here's the verse. And and the idea that it starts with them talking about the idea that, oh, I had an idea for a song. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, okay, we can hear it. It's really interesting because as a listener, first of all, you feel like you're eavesdropping on something. Like you say, it feels very cinematic. It feels like you've almost more like televisual, I would say, because it makes me think of Cheers or, you know, guys hanging around a bar. But it kind of feels 3D because you're going through these layers. You've got the layers of you're just listening to these guys, but then they're also listening to the song and they're kind of making up the song as they go. So you've got this it's like really 3D music. There's one video of Harry Nilsson that I love. And it's the beginning of televisions and effects and music videos. You're talking about the early 70s, where he's at a piano. And then there's a second of him right next to him, uh, superimposed. Uh, And then the third one pops in and the fourth one. And they're all looking at each other in this camera angles, you know. And I don't think anyone was doing that before him. Mm. Um, And I love the guy for that kind of stuff. Yeah. One song I know of him was uh, One is the Loneliest Number, was that his hit. And then, of course, that takes on a whole other meaning with this because he's having all this fun with the voices in his head. Yeah, there might be a bit at the end by Ringo Starr. I can't, there's a couple of different versions of that song because believe it or not, they struggled with how to actually shape it and structure it. They thought they could just wing it and but they actually had to script the thing of course i've written down here very very silly and also high art that's kind of what it is as i say i didn't know that it was all him that really makes me think it's closer to high art than it is just it is very silly as well but it, it gives me so many ideas i just think why don't you come on at the start of your song and introduce it we never do that 
a word or a phrase or even a sound that introduces your song and frames it in a way that makes you maybe more aware of the fact that you're in the process of listening to music. The Kendrick Lamar album has that to be butterfly mm. because it's got this whole long segment um, which only gets revealed at the end, which is basically a conversation to back and the interviewer. That's a way of introducing anchoring the songs yeah. into a concept album and which is you know something that Harry Nielsen was doing the concept album of yeah. the 70s um, very strong at it but he's got so many of his songs where he pops in a little bit of the recording engineer going rolling yeah. stuff like that there's one track by a pop singer called Rachel Stevens and it's just so random because it's a proper electro pop track and she just comes on with her little English accent and goes could you turn the track up please And they included it, mm -hmm. and I bet there was a fight. I bet the label were like, well, you can't include that. And they said, no, 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 that's the hook, and it's going to get everyone talking. Sometimes just including the little mistake, the little weird bit, is, is the key that actually helps to unlock the potential of a song. That's part of the fun of the studio. Sometimes you just, it's something I used to do when I was doing documentary films. You get the best interviews when you sort of pretend the camera's been turned off and everybody can relax. You do that in the studio, it's like, okay, we've done the song and then you just let it roll then you get all this like off track stuff yeah. that goes into experimental that gets to be fun well I like the fact that the cover that you've personalized for the Music Meets cover of the podcast um, you started doing something and then you said no and put a label no and all of that's going to be included on the actual thing so talk about embracing your mistakes and making them a part of your art so I, I thank you for that <laughs> Let's move on to my second choice. This is something totally different. This is Konono number one, or numero un, I suppose. They're from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and the track is called Nsimba Mzuzi. was Konono number one with Nsimba Nzuzi. I saw them live a few years ago and it was very sweet because they'd be grooving away and a track would last about 20 minutes. Then they'd stop, everyone would clap and then they'd go, this next song is called da 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 and then they'd start again and then 20 minutes later they'd stop and everyone would clap and then they'd say, this next song is called, <laughs> it was just kind of, kind of didn't need the the stopping but I think they just maybe needed a little break <laughs> it was just so sweet that for them these were just songs but they just happened to last 20 minutes each <laughs> I mean obviously it's so hypnotic it's so trancy it really makes you want to dance why I chose them is that they're very DIY including making their own instruments as you can imagine and actually making their own sound system and they have a way I'm not very technological but they have a way of wiring things together that is uniquely theirs it's basically from junkyards they just find stuff 
and turn it into some kind of amplification system. They often turn up to gigs using a lot of their own amplification. That's why it's distorted. That's why it sounds very warm, very homemade. And this made me think of you because I had this image of you, Marianne, touring Europe with your whole life in your backpack and in your suitcase, <laughs> getting out whatever amp you can find, plugging it in and making a beautiful sound. That reminds me of the tour I did with my donkey in the Pyrenees. <laughs> Um, because the donkey was carrying my gear, but my gear was mostly a little bit of food um, and a video projector. But then I was at the mercy of whatever was available at the quote-unquote venue. I thought you were going to say you were at the mercy of the donkey, whether the donkey wanted to move or yeah, The do donkey was in charge <laughs> completely. If you think you're going to be inserting the phone in the middle of the country road and the donkey is not going to figure out that he can stop not be noticed and start chomping away at a grass, then you're in trouble. So you got to pay attention. He's in charge. Anyway, but that you just every night figure out a way to make sense of what's available. Mm. Sometimes it's a boombox. Yeah. Um, I remember showing up in a gig in New Zealand and they had nothing but the little restaurant sound system. I've done gigs like that. It's well. like... Okay, so basically my playing a gig rests on finding that one little piece of cable that we probably won't find, but let's wire something. So yeah, it becomes interesting. Yeah. In theatre we have this term um, site-specific. Yes. And for me, every performance is or at least should be mm -hmm. site-specific. Yes. If I'm playing in the Zenith de Paris, mm -hmm. it's site-specific because there are several thousand people there and we need to make it work. And if I'm playing, you know, and the sound system doesn't work, I still would like to do a gig, so I might just do it a cappella, but you have to make it work, or else just don't bother, just pack up and go home, you know. Yeah, no, you got to stay on top of it. you got to be awake to what's there, what's available, and make use of it. It is grab what you can. Yeah. What did you make of this track? I didn't want it to stop. I figured, you know, this is what a track is asking me of. You know, it's asking me to drop everything and just surrender to it. And I love tracks like that. I love music like that. I love books like that. Anything that's just going to say, you know, whatever you're doing at the moment, it doesn't matter. Just listen to me. That's really interesting because I've noted down here, obviously, there are minimalist elements. I'm thinking particularly of Steve Reich and his kind of, you know, vibraphones and marimbas that have these ding, 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 little patterns that are repetitive. And that's the word that exactly came to mind when I've spoken about minimalism on the podcast. Surrender. Mm -hmm. You have to surrender or else you're not really getting the best from the music. The music demands that you do. Yeah, simplicity as a way of requesting that. It's It, it makes it more complicated if you're trying to fight the format. So you just surrender give up just shed mm. i think that's something quite key and quite deep there that simplicity means that you have to surrender because when there's loads of information i mean it's a very rich track but it's just so repetitive mm -hmm. the actual cycle is maybe one bar and it goes on and on and on and on and that repetition that's what draws you in and obviously makes you dance as well. There's also something where you got to figure out where you stand. If you stand in relationship to music as a body or as a mind, as a brain, as a French person, you're like, okay, what, you know, trying to take this apart and figure out what makes this work, etc. And then you're like, well, what if I surrendering just means you're going to tap your finger and start getting up and dance around and don't stop until the track stops, mm. which could be 24 hours later. 
that would be an appropriate response to it also. Yeah. I'm not saying one is, is more appropriate than the other, but things like Kendrick Lamar, you could tap your feet or you could think about it and go through the words and write an essay. Well, that brings us on to your third selection, the track that you've been involved in, because I'm really interested to hear from you after we've had a listen about how you tackle writing and singing in French, because it's true that we have this kind of intellectual approach to listening to music, to digesting the lyrics. You know, a good text is so important. What about the visceral element? What about how it makes you feel? So what track have you chosen from your back catalogue? It's a, a bonus track um, from the last album. It's called Heureusement Sans Heure. Ses pieds s'attachent dans le dos. L'anneau, le supplice, il est long. Torture ordinaire, raconfesse ma fête. Je suis mise à question, mais au crash, mais au crack. De quoi suis-je coupable? be the most dramatic track I've ever done. <laughs> This is hilarious. <gasps> yes, it's, a, it, it's certainly dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a caricature of how dramatic you can get if you're doing French chansons. It's, it's uh, devilish. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit. So 
The French language is, I think, a very difficult one to sing in, actually. Despite a great tradition of French chansons, I feel it's in spite of how difficult it actually is to sing in this language. It's a, it's a nice language to speak, but to sing, you end up with... It's, it's <laughs> difficult to play, so you end up having to make your choice, I think. You either go towards the Canadian belters and... You know, and you can deliver your kind of Anglo-Saxon tune... Or you end up very kind of whispery, which I guess is in this track in particular. It's you know, lots of um, air in the voice and it's very dramatic and you're playing kind of half speaky singing. There's a whole tradition of kind of speaky singing in French music. Or, you know, little voices, again, kind of speaky singing. You have to make your choice. And I think it's not easy, but I think this so works in French. It couldn't be in anything other than French, this track, I think. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, it's... it's- I layered a lot of breathing in there. I mean, if you go the speaking, breathing voice, then I might as well just go full on with it. Exactly. So this one's got just like some heavy breathing in it. And it's not sexy, heavy breathing. I mean, this is a pretty dark tale of like a witch hunt. So there's a lot of that kind of pain. So it's utterly dramatically French, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe a reason I was a little uncomfortable putting that track in the actual album and just kind of shut it to the side because it's like that is the bottom of me this definitely is something I'm working through in that track that relationship as you pointed so well to the French tradition Mm. it's an odd one but I can see coming back to what we were talking about before you're trying to get a kind of visceral element into the song you're trying to take it so far that it becomes more than just an, an exercise in lyric writing or a nice song with a nice mood. It's almost difficult to listen to because you're so, like you say, it's heavy breathing. It's not just a little bit of, you know, whimpering. <laughs> like you imagine, you know, the Jane Birkins of the world and cute little chanteurs. It's very troubling. And I think knowing you and speaking to you about your work, I can hear how you've tried to take that as far as you can. Yes, I think there's in every album I, I do, there's one track that's really unbearable to hear by certain people that will get flipped out by the intensity, the darkness of it. Um, so this this one is definitely it in the album. And that's an album that's got a bunch of pretty dark and intense and spooky songs. Mm. I liked the use of the clarinet. Is it a bass clarinet? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Reminded me a little bit of Cabaret, like Liza Minnelli's got something kind of klezmer-esque. You know, the clarinet is such an evocative instrument. I think it's underused, actually. Uh, Maybe for that reason, it's very connotated and it takes you to a certain place straight away. Uh, There's so much symbol going on. There's so many symbols all the time. And that's nice. That makes it very cinematic, I think. And yeah, I also, like you say, you've layered the voices. So I noticed that there are a couple of voices overlapping at one point, which is a nice link with the Harry Nilsson track as well. The idea there are two voices in your head, maybe one fighting for supremacy over the other one. Is that the idea? Yeah, it also comes from the realization that um, the words are important, but um, they're also not that important. So it is okay not to understand to become. I've been trying to do that with French, with singing French more and more get to a point where French um, is sung like English. I mean, this track is not exactly representative of that, but to be free from that obligation of being understood. And singing in French in America mostly was freedom, freedom from that obligation. Mm. I've toured a lot with artists um, performing in their language 
outside of their country so with an Italian artist who we performed outside of Italy and obviously with Camille who I worked with for many years outside of France and it's a really interesting experience yes because what are you communicating when they don't understand the words and for French musicians most of them songwriters the lyrics are so important Mm-hmm. So the idea that they can communicate anything other than this is the nice text that I've wrote. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a tune as well. But here's the text. Oh, you don't understand the text. Well, how are we going to understand each other? And I think a lot of artists end up translating and explaining. Oh, this next song is about. And it's like, yeah, but you could communicate all of that in. You could try at least in the way you're performing it. Oh, it's a lot of fun having to uh, summarize your song for a foreign audience. Um, basically, it comes down to a couple of words that they might get. Mm. And this track would just listen to. Seriously, I could actually just be heavy breathing through it <laughs> and not even say words and it still work. Yeah. Well, talking about words that take on a different meaning, depending on who's listening, we're going to move on to my third choice, the final track on this podcast. This is my arrangement of a track by Rihanna, Only Girl in the World, a big international hit, which you might have heard in some of your cafes in Italy. It's highly possible. Uh, and this is my arrangement for Juice Vocal Ensemble of Only Girl in the World. Take me for a ride, ride away. Girl in the world, make girl. me 
Okay, so that was Juice and Magica with Only Girl in the World. We actually just watched a video. Again, YouTube is our friend, and I'll include a link to it where we sang it live in a church in South London. What did you make of that? It's stunning, especially after watching the Alice video. At first, I thought it was a pre-recording. Like, okay, so they're doing the 1980s. We're going to karaoke. No, it is real. They're, you guys singing. Juice are some of the most amazing singers I have ever heard. They're pitching. They all have perfect pitch. Absolutely. And their pitching is amazing. I don't have perfect pitch. So sometimes rehearsing with them is a nightmare because they go, okay, guys, should we go from page two? No, it's like, you need to give me a note. I don't have perfect pitch. <laughs> they're like superhuman singers. And you are too, and that economy of gesture to something we saw in the Alice video, that is stunning how much you can communicate without few movements of the hands and arms, and it's so controlled, and yet you just get carried away. It's beautiful. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Um, obviously, you might know that Rihanna was involved in uh, an incident where she ended up, by all accounts, uh, beaten black and blue by somebody. And so I was very interested to turn this song into a kind of commentary on domestic violence. And I didn't have to work very hard because the lyrics, to be perfectly honest, want you to make me feel like I'm the only girl in the world, like I'm the only one that you, you'll ever love. 
I don't know. It, it made me question, what are these girls singing? We released it for International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really made me think a lot, you know. But that's always interesting to take a pop song that seems like, you know, the kind of stuff you hear in a cafe in Basilicata. <laughs> and then you think, hang on a minute, what are they actually singing and, and what does it mean? And how could I interpret this to maybe put a different spin on it? Yeah. I suppose it's all about context, really, because Rihanna singing it, it just sounds like she's being sexy. Want you to love me like I'm a hot guy. (laughs) She's just being provocative like she always is. She's made a career out of it. Mm -hmm. And pop stars do. But when you take those words out of her mouth and without that dance beat that made it such a hit and just say, want you to love me like I'm a hot guy. And Sarah from Juice, she delivers that so well with such a straight face you know she's a soprano she sings opera she sings at the royal opera house and she's singing want you to love me like i'm a hot guy i mean that's also very english we're being very cheeky here taking Mm -hmm. this bajan dancehall and uh, pop artist and taking her lyrics and singing them with with juice it's always always a recipe for fun have you done any kind of acapella work have you sung with singers no Mm mm-mm No, I don't have a hard time thinking of myself as a singer. Um, It's something I've had to tackle in the past couple of years. Um, The next album is going to be really in English first, but also really sung. I've been working on that over the past couple of years, stripping myself of all the dramatic breathing, heavy breathing, singer, French thing. So I don't know if it's going to work, but to me it's like I just needed to sing that's really interesting because i've heard quite a lot of french music where i'm thinking i wish i could just get my hands on this artist and say i love what you do but how about at least one track on the album where you just sing and you probably have a more beautiful voice than you know dear artist whoever you are but the french language and and the way the french consume their music has led to this thing where you're you know maybe it's very breathy maybe it's very dramatic like we said and sometimes there's a beautiful tune in there that mm-hmm. could be liberated yeah. if you just have the guts, really, to sing. And also, I think it's about vulnerability, because when you decide you're just going to sing, you might be out of tune. That's what I found when I realised, oh, I actually have a tune here and I can't just cover it up with my over-emoting and being very dramatic and theatrical. Yeah. I'd better get some singing lessons. I'd better be able to hold the tune. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm um, loving to drop out, disappear um, from myself, whether it's just changing location entirely. I mean, I packed up almost 30 years of life in America and came to Europe. It was like, time to change everything. Um, Once you get into the habit of doing that, it just becomes sort of an addiction. It's like, wow, okay, time to reinvent myself. And you do that every once in a while. And it's super spooky at first kind of lose all your means but then you get quite a bit of strength from doing that so my next big step is singing and i'm taking my sweet time and the next album is it's going to be more simple well you've kind of answered a question i was just about to ask which is i always end the podcast by asking what you're working on so you're working on new album singing working on the singing voice um, anything else in the pipeline for you Uh, Yes, there's a book I'm pretty much done writing, um, and it's um, it's a full, (laughs) I guess you can say that, for a book to a full-length book. 
Um, How long is a piece of string? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a book, you know, it's got a couple hundred pages. It's got a cover and a back cover. So. It will have, yeah. It's quite a format, I guess. So that's one of the reasons I went to Basilicata and I was hiding there, hoping not to run into anybody I knew, which worked pretty much. And then the book is going to come out, however books come out these days. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. If you'd like to find out more about this podcast, as ever, you can go to magica.com forward slash podcast, where you're going to find show notes, links to all the videos we've been watching, and obviously the tracks if you'd like to buy them. If you'd like to get in touch, please do. On Twitter, I am at Magica, or you can just send an email, podcast at magica.com. It would be really great to get some feedback. Before we wrap up the podcast, as ever, little vocal impro time. So what are the main points we've been talking about today? Um, layering vocals. Layering vocals. How perfect. <laughs> perfect. Let's layer our voices. We're only two. I, I'll start with a rhythm, but as you come in with your flow, your Kendrick Lamar inspired flow in whatever language you choose, um, or no language at all, then I will layer and I will come and meet you with my beatbox. Okay. Let's. <laughs> Trepidation. Let's see what happens. so that was a song that was our impro that yeah. was it it's finished yeah it's done. finished should we start again or is it done i don't, no, know, I don't know i think it's time to get a drink <laughs> good job <laughs> 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 <laughs>